We have two readings today. First reading is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. This was written 700 years before the coming of Jesus, and it reminds us of God's mercy and the promise of his salvation. So that's Isaiah 25, 1 to 9. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore strong peoples will honour you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace From all the earth, the Lord has spoken. We go over now to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 21 and going through to 37. We've been working our way through Luke's gospel. Jesus has set his face towards his death. This reading takes place somewhere on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. So Luke chapter 10, 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one who knows, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do? To inherit eternal life. What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? 
In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, Lindor. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, Really good to see you. Uh, and to be able to spend time with you. I get to spend time with my wife tonight uh, when she returns home, uh, but not yet. Uh, So uh, I want to give an advertisement to begin with, uh, and that is for the National Church Life Survey. Uh, And if you've been reading your prayer news email, you've probably seen this, and some of you have obviously ignored it, uh, because we've only had about a quarter of us kind of fill it in. Uh, And I want to give a plug for it, because what it is, you know how we do a census across Australia for for every household? They do the same for churches and for members of churches. And uh, we've actually paid to be part of this. So whether or not you, uh, you know, cast a survey, we've paid for it anyway. So you might as well, you know, make it worth our while. And what we want to do is we want to hear not just how many people are coming along to our church and so on, but what are the attitudes? What are, you know, how do you feel like you're growing as a disciple of Jesus? Those are the sort of things that will come out in the survey. It will help us as a church. It will help our little denomination, FIEC. And it just helps the Australia-wide church movement to know what's going on, what are the trends, and so on. So please, if you haven't yet, take the 10 minutes or so uh, to fill that out. That would be a great help to us. Uh, We'll make sure the information's in tomorrow's prayer and news email. Now, I want to kick off today. uh, We're coming to a wonderful story of Jesus, but I want to kick off playing a little bit of Pictionary with you. Uh, You know how Pictionary works. I'll draw a picture, and you've got to kind of guess what it is. You can chat to the person next to you. So let's go to the screen. This is pre-recorded Pictionary, right? So let's, let's play it. Uh, and uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what uh, is going on. So see if you can guess what it is. Now, it looks like a circle, doesn't it? Uh, but it's not, right? So context is really important in Pictionary. So can anyone now guess what this is? Is it three, two, one, call it out? Let's have a look. Oh, here we go. It's a bit slow. Sorry about how slow I am. And with three, two, well, let's have a look. Oh, man, this is boring, isn't it? All right, there it is. Yo, yo, yeah, well done. Did it. But see how important the context was, all right? Putting my hand, you know, in the string. Let's go to the next one. Uh, number two, I sped this up a little bit, so it's not as boring, all right? So play it again for us. Here we go. 
Oh, it's another circle. Uh, but there you go. What is it? What is it? Oh. Earth, moon. Oh, oh, what's that? Oh. Ah, let's have a look. Yeah, Saturn. Well done. All right. And again, like I held off putting that ring on. That was a bit sneaky of me, wasn't it? But even with the ring and the circle, the context, the stars make a big difference. Now, here's the final, well, final Pictionary for now. Uh, so let me show you the, the last one. Uh, play it for us. Here we go. Oh, another circle. Huh. Oh, but this one's a shiny sort of circle. What's going on here? Any guesses what this is? Oh. What, what have we got there? What is it? What's this? This is actually looking quite a beautiful picture. <coughs> Anyone worked it out? Uh, yes, a pearl. Let's have a look. A pearl necklace. <coughs> um, now, so again, right? So you saw that first pearl, but you still didn't have a clue what it was. But when I put it in context, it made sense. Now, what's this got to do with anything? Well, this morning we come to one of the great pearls of Jesus' teaching. Huh? How good is that? All right. Uh, we come to a, a, a great pearl of Jesus' teaching, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's one of the best-known stories ever told. Right? Even if people haven't been in church, they kind of know of this story. It is profound, subversive, challenging, uh, and inspiring. But so often, this, this story is stripped of its bigger context, and because of that, it is so often misunderstood. It's like a pearl is plucked out of the necklace and you just don't see it in, in its original kind of form, you know, where the jeweller has put it within a, the whole necklace uh, to bring out the beauty. So what we want to do today is hear the story, but to understand this wonderful story in its context. Uh, and as we do, we will be, and I pray this, We'll be challenged uh, to follow Jesus, to trust him, to imitate him uh, in all that we do. Um, so that's, that's what will happen. It will bring us a greater clarity of Jesus uh, as we follow him and seek to imitate him. Now, before we dive into the parable, I want to kind of do a little bit of context. And because we're doing Pictionary, let me do another one here. Uh, so this is, well, I'm, going to, I'm going to give it away early. This is a map. Um, so click it there for us to play. I've got this in two times speed so that it's not too boring for you. So what is that? It's a region and a person from that region. Mm, I wonder who it is. All right, now here we've got, what's that? Oh, okay, it's, it's a waterway. Anyone guess what waterway that is? Okay, it's the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, so this guy here is a Samaritan. Galilee is the Jewish region in the north. Judea is the Jewish region in the south. Jerusalem was in Judea. And the region of Samaria was in between. Uh, so there's the kind of the map setting the context. And you might remember Jesus is on a journey from Galilee down to Judea. He's set his face towards Jerusalem. But on his way, so Jesus grew up in Galilee. A lot of Jesus' ministry has been in Galilee. But he has been back and forward from, with Jerusalem a number of times. 
But on this journey from Galilee to Judea, he would pass through Samaria. And the Samaritans had historical ties with the Jews. Um, uh, and so they're, they're kind of semi-Jewish. But they had broken away from the Jews. Uh, they had kind of formed their own religion. They'd intermarried with the nations round about. And over time, the, the Jews had come to hate and despise the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, in turn, had come to hate and despise the Jews. Uh, so there's kind of the context, uh, this, uh, this entrenched enmity between these people groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus is on his journey from Galilee, probably passing through Samaria or roundabouts. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where we know he's going to be betrayed and killed. Uh, and, and so that's the context in which Jesus tells this wonderful story. The story itself is very simple. It begins with a man on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, I don't know. I think it's only about 15 kilometres down the road. It's, it's not a long journey. Um, along the way, he is robbed, beaten, and left by the side of the road half dead in a desperate state. Along comes a priest, a respectable Jewish guy. And so as the listener to this story, you're thinking, oh, here's some hope, because surely he'll actually do something to help. Uh, but the priest sees this man lying half dead in the gutter and chooses to go on the other side of the road and walk by, completely ignoring him without doing a thing to help him. And you're kind of left wondering, why? Uh, what's going on? Was this guy in some sort of massive hurry? Was there an important meeting in Jerusalem that he had to attend? Or did he assume this guy was kind of dead and he was worried that, you know, because I'm going to the temple, if I come in contact with a dead body, maybe I'll become unclean myself. Uh, we just don't know why he makes the decision that he makes. But the bottom line is he walks by on the other side of the road and continues on his way. Uh, next comes a Levite, another Jewish religious guy. He's from the same tribe as the priest. He's one of these guys that he's set aside for the work of God. But he too, on seeing the man, chooses to pass by on the other side of the road. And we're left thinking, is anyone going to help this guy in his desperate need? Finally, along comes a Samaritan. And we certainly don't expect anything much from him at all. He's the enemy after all. But this Samaritan, on seeing the man lying half dead in the gutter, his, his heart has compassion towards him. He cannot walk by. He stoops down, bandages his wounds, takes him to, a, to an inn, pays for his recuperation, um, puts him on his own donkey on, in a, on, on the way there and so on. An extraordinary, costly, surprising compassion from a complete stranger. There is the story. Uh, and it really is a ripper of a story, isn't it? So what's the point? What is the point of this story? Well, verse 29 <clears throat> The story comes in the context of a question that's been asked by 
a religious lawyer. And the question is, who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? If I've got to love my neighbour as myself, well, who is my neighbour? And look at how the story ends. Verse 36. Which of these three, Jesus asked this question, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, and he can't even say the word Samaritan. And have you noticed that? It's like, sir, sir, uh, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Can you see how powerful Jesus is? Just how subversive, you know. He's actually calling on this religious lawyer to imitate his enemy, the Samaritan. <clears throat> and notice how Jesus turns the question around. So the question the man came with was, who is my neighbour? But Jesus turns it around, so instead he's kind of asking, who can I be a neighbour to? And the one he's meant to imitate is this Samaritan, this traditional en uh, enemy, this guy who ignores prejudice, who sets aside you know, entrenched enmity, religious difference and all that sort of stuff, this guy who shows completely extraordinary kindness to an absolute stranger. It is a huge challenge to us, isn't it? Uh, it strikes at our self-centeredness, this story. We get so busy in our lives that when we come across someone in front of us, someone who God puts in our path, who's in need, well, often we can just continue on our way. We don't feel like we can afford to show compassion. Uh, we kind of weigh up the cost and we continue our own way. So consumed we can be with our own agenda. And so as we hear this story, I think it should disturb us, to actually go, what, what, what's, what's wrong with me? Uh, why can I do that same thing where I just get on with me living my life and almost turn a blind eye to the needs of those around about me? I, um, when I was at Bible college, I had a wonderful bunch of lecturers, and one of them was John Chapman, and he's died now and he's with the Lord Jesus, um, but he raised up thousands of us to preach God's word. Uh, and we are so thankful for him and the legacy that he's left. Um, but he was running a preaching class at a different college, right? So it wasn't my Bible college. Uh, but anyway, he was running this preaching class. And during one particular class, he was sending out students one by one to an examination room where they would present a talk, right? So they're in the classroom, but one by one, they had to go out to this examination room, you know, every 10 minutes or so to give a talk, and they would be assessed on a talk they gave on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what he did is he kind of set it up so that as a student was heading out from the class, heading to the examination room on a tight schedule, another fellow student would fall down and, and lie on the ground sort of groaning uh, you know, in, in, in eyesight of this, uh, this student who was going off to their assessment. Um, and do you know what happened? Not one of the students stopped to help their fellow student. Uh, and uh, it's one of those beautiful teaching moments that only Chapo could get away with. 
But each of them was going to preach on this parable, and yet none of them stopped. Uh, and that was a lesson that they would never forget. Uh, that whilst they might have had a beautifully articulate presentation of the passage, they hadn't understood the passage uh, and taken it to heart. We can become so committed to our own agenda, our own tasks, that we just fail to notice the, the needs and opportunities that God has placed right in front of us uh, to show love and compassion. And I hope you heard in that reading, God has a heart of compassion. God doesn't turn a blind eye on the needs of our world uh, and he, he, he wants us to be the same, uh, to have hearts of compassion. So this story from Jesus is a powerful critique of self-centeredness, of our failure to care for those in need around about us, the poor, the outcast, the refugee. The challenge is open your eyes, look around, who can you be a neighbour to? But there's a second question that is a key part of the context of this story. And the question is the question that kind of triggers the conversation. So in verse 25, have a look there. So Luke 10, 25, the religious lawyer asks, comes up to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's, it's not a terrible question, uh, it's a good question. You know, the idea of desiring eternal life, uh, what do I need to do to get to heaven and so on, it's a good question, but I also want to say it's a dodgy question. Uh, and, and it's a dodgy question because of, it has a lot to do about the guy who asked the question. Because notice, he asked the question not out of a heart of inquiry, not out of a sense of, I really need to know the answer to this, he asked the question to test Jesus, perhaps to challenge Jesus or to test his orthodoxy or whatever. It's the sort of question that you want to ask to gain personal security before God. How can I know I'm going to heaven? That's a good question. But this guy is playing a kind of religious debate game. And it's a faulty question because... Inheritance is a gift. Right? You need to learn this. There's a lot of grief a lot of people go through because they assume that they have somehow earned an inheritance of their parents. Right? It's a gift. If your parents decide to leave you in their will, that's totally up to them. It's, it's an act of grace, not something that you've earned. But this guy has the idea that inheritance, which is a gift from God is something that he can earn. And so that's another aspect of his question being dodgy. So Jesus throws it back onto this lawyer. That's what Jesus always does when someone tests him with a question. He doesn't answer it directly. He comes back with a question in reply. Verse 26, what's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? You're an expert in the law. The law talks about you know, what you must do. And so the lawyer answers, verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Right, do this, 
and you will live. Right? And that could have been the end of the conversation. But I reckon at this point, the lawyer might have been feeling a little bit embarrassed. He was thinking, oh, you know, I'm entering into this religious debate with all these nuances. And Jesus just kind of, there's a simplicity to the answer. Um, and so verse 29, the religious lawyer wanted to justify himself, to prove himself or to show himself to be in the right. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Notice there's a kind of an assumption, look, I do love God with all my heart and soul and strength, but how do I define my neighbour? How can I have, com you know, if a person wanted to know a sense of confidence that they've entered eternal life, how much would they had to do, have to do? Uh, what's the minimum required to gain eternal life? But Jesus instead of minimising the command to love your neighbour, instead of putting kind of boundaries around it, Jesus maximises the command. Can you see that? Uh, and instead of asking the question, who is my neighbour, Jesus turns it around to, who can I be a neighbour to? And he gives the example of this good Samaritan who shows extraordinary love, compassion, sacrificial generosity to someone... <clears throat> to someone that you would least expect, to, to one of his enemies. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So, so remember that the trigger question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' answer should have left this religious lawyer feeling insecure, maybe for the first time in his life, feeling a sense of, man, I may not have made the grade because I don't love my neighbour like that. Uh, I've never loved in, in this breathtaking compassion of this Samaritan. And maybe, if I'm honest with myself, I don't love God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my mind. So where does that leave me with God? Now, that would have been a right question, a right set of questions and reflections for this guy to make. But the problem with so many religious people is that they, they fail to take an honest look at themselves. Uh, they fail to reflect on their own need before God. They're, they're working so hard to kind of justify themselves in the eyes of other people and even in the eyes of God that they will not humble themselves to recognise, I need help. I'm not going to make the grade and I want confidence before God. I reckon the best question to ask on hearing Jesus' story is this. Who will love me like that? I want someone to love me like that dude, like the Samaritan loved his enemy. Because our world is full of sickness, oppression, evil, sin. It in, it in Self-centeredness invades all of our lives, doesn't it? There are so many people desperate for hope, desperate for love, desperate for forgiveness, desperate for hope and confidence in the future. 
And this is the world Jesus stepped into 2,000 years ago, a world which was incredibly broken. People demon-possessed and oppressed and excluded and outcast and, and just searching desperately for hope and help. But the religious leaders were no help, were they? They were like the priest and the Levite on seeing their fellow Jews in such desperate need, uh, they just put up the barriers and walked away uh, without helping. They refused to have anything to do with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and unclean people. So many people in Jesus' day were left spiritually dead with no one willing to help, with no one able to help. And then Jesus steps into this world and he looked out on those around him and his heart broke with compassion. And that's one of the words you keep hearing about Jesus, just um, his heart breaks with compassion as he looks at the needs around about him. He will not walk by on the other side of the road. In fact, he could not. And so instead, he stoops down to heal and to cleanse and to restore at great personal cost to himself. His ministry was just so tiring because the demands were so constant. And yet the religious leaders despised him. They regarded him as the enemy in, in fact, if you, I think it's John chapter 10. They call Jesus a demon-possessed Samaritan. So much did they despise Jesus and all he stood for. But at great personal cost, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem and he would not be distracted from walking the road to Jerusalem where he knew he would be rejected and mocked and, and, and beaten and ultimately killed, but he would do it out of compassion for us, to actually bring us the forgiveness, the acceptance with God, the cleansing that we so desperately need. So you read Luke's Gospel and you ask the question, who will love me in my desperate need? In a self-centered world, who will reach out and care for me? And the answer is so beautiful and clear. It is the Lord Jesus, the one who has come from the Father. He is the one who will stoop down and care for me in my deepest need. I remember reading this story of the Good Samaritan 10 years ago with my kids. Uh, you know, when we used to sit around the table and read the Bible together. Um, and, and I asked my kids, if someone came up to you and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, how would you answer the question? Um, and I asked that because I don't think... Uh, Jesus' answer is kind of puzzling. It, it's, it's intriguing, isn't it? And so I said, how would you answer? And my kids thought about it for a while... And then my youngest child, Sarah, who was 11 years old at the time, she said, the only way to get to heaven 
is by trusting Jesus. And she was absolutely right, right? Different answer to what Jesus gave, but absolutely right answer, isn't it? And it just confirms what Jesus says in verse 21. So have a look at Luke 10, 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So there is the principle. In God's wisdom and wonder, he, he hides... Uh, he hides the, the, the secrets of the kingdom from proud, religious, you know, what does he call them? From the wise and learned. He hides the secrets of the kingdom from them, and yet he reveals them to little children. And you see that played out. This, this wise and learned lawyer comes along to test Jesus in his arrogance to justify himself, he walks away and the secret to the kingdom is still a mystery to him. And it's his pride that is blocking him from getting it. And yet my 11-year-old daughter got it. She understood the secret to the kingdom. So how should we read this parable of the Good Samaritan? Let Let me tie it together. Firstly, in context, um, not just focused on the pearl as beautiful as it is, but to recognise what's around it, uh, the whole necklace. Not just focused on the Samaritan story, but reading it in the light of the whole story of Jesus and his journey to Jerusalem and the fact that our only hope was that he would suffer and die. When he drank the cup... uh, it's because there was no other way for us to be saved other than through the death of the Lord Jesus in our place. And that's the way we need to read any part of God's word. We don't just pluck it out, but we, actually, we read it in context. That's responsible reading. Secondly, I reckon we should read it, this story, and feel challenged. Recognise Jesus lays down a very heavy challenge if this is what it means to love my neighbor then i've fallen short and no doubt i've failed at the other great commandment as well to love god with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength if i'm honest i just can't tick those two commands and say i've I've fulfilled those commands on my own i would have no confidence Of my standing before God. In fact, if anyone in this story represents me, it's the guy lying half dead in the gutter on the side of the road. Spiritually speaking, on my own merits, that's me, utterly incapable to save myself. I need someone like the Good Samaritan to come along and go out of their way to help me in my need. And thank God that that is what Jesus does because that is the heart of the Father to show compassion. It is the heart of his son Jesus to stoop down 
and show compassion. And now that I am cleansed, restored and forgiven through what Jesus has done for me, I listen to this story and I see an example of what what love looks like in action. I I see in this story what Jesus has done for me and I... God works in my heart so that I want to imitate. I want to live a life of love, just like Jesus loved me. Uh, And so it ought to challenge each one of us to look around, see the needs, and ask the question, who can I be a neighbour to? Who has God placed in my path? Who has God put in my way? So that I can, I can put aside my kind of self-centred agenda that's all about me and actually say, no, here's a need that God has placed before me. What would the Lord Jesus do in this situation? Uh, and this story challenges us to push out of our comfort zone, to open our eyes, to see needs and opportunities. And I, I reckon we want to recognise that the needs are not just physical needs. There are physical needs of people all around us. But one of the things Jesus helps us to do is to see that the spiritual needs of the people around about us are the greatest needs of all. Their need for forgiveness, uh, cleansing before God, uh, hope and eternal life. And so here's an opportunity. Your last chance, bring a friend along to life this week so that they can hear this good news of Jesus and receive the forgiveness that is on offer. Who could you invite? So as we head out this morning, let's keep talking about these things because uh, we, we can actually create a culture of this or we want to ask Jesus and, and God the Father by his spirit to create a culture of love amongst us because we have a role to play in the lives of one another. You know, if, if we create a culture of self-centred, I get on with my own agenda, then, then that will kind of impact the whole culture of our church. But if we start challenging and, and stepping forward with radical love like Jesus, then we will be like a light in a dark world shining out the wonder and the glory of our Saviour Jesus. So let me pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, you have commanded us to love you with all our hearts, all our minds, all our strength, and to love our neighbour as ourself. They are such good and reasonable commands, and yet we fail to do them. We are sorry we have not loved you as we should. We're sorry that we have failed to love our neighbour as ourselves. On our own, we recognise we would have no hope before you. But we want to thank you for Jesus, that he did not keep at a distance, that he came amongst us and his heart broke with compassion. And he showed such great love, even dying on the cross in our place. And so, Father, please forgive us as you promised to do. You've paid the price through the blood of your Son. Please forgive us. Please embrace us into your family. 
Please change us by your Holy Spirit so that we love others like Jesus loved us. Not out of a sense of duty or trying to earn our way, but recognising your grace. You have given us an inheritance. And we pray that you will so change us by your Spirit that we will want to live like Jesus lived. Please open our eyes to the needs and opportunities around about us. Please strengthen and empower us to step into those. Please work powerfully in this church community so that we will live out the radical love of Jesus and so bring him the glory and the honour that he so richly deserves. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.